Uh, good morning, church. It's so happy to see all of you, although it's uh, virtually. Uh, welcome, uh, Pastor Micah and Blair. I'm thankful to God that during this pandemic, uh, though we won't be able to gather together as a church, <clears throat> but we can still have fellowship and reaching out to one another. I'd like to thank uh, Lillian and Jacob uh, for your gesture of love, uh, bringing the red bean soup uh, to Constant uh, and to me. Uh, we are thankful. Uh, the red bean soup in the Chinese culture, in the history, symbol, the red bean symbolizes remembrance. Although it is in a different context, I think probably between lovers. Uh, but red bean soups, uh, red bean is, symbolizes remembrance. So in this uh, pandemic, uh, it is so heartwarming to be remembered by church uh, community. Uh, so I would also encourage you to reach out to others, uh, particularly those who are isolated, those who are quiet, introverted. I think it doesn't take much, a phone call or WhatsApp. Uh, as I mentioned, you could reach out by sending food personally or through grab food delivery. Uh, I do know of uh, people during this uh, time of pandemic, because of isolation, they have mental issue. Some are suicidal. Our church counselor, Mario, um, uh, he does receive call from uh, people who needed help, uh, suicidal. So please remember there are people <clears throat> who are isolated and have no friends. Huh? Uh, we are thankful as a church, church community, we we do reach out to one another. So I'm thankful uh, to the church community. Let's uh, look at the word of God today. Uh, we are looking at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. Now, when the church grows numerically, they're bound to have problem, problems within now, this was what happened in Jerusalem church. In chapter 6, verse 1, it says that in those days, when the number, number of disciples was increasing, chapter 6, verse 1. And then Luke began to mention that there was a problem. The Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So there was a problem within the Jerusalem church. And then in verse seven, chapter six, verse seven, he said, then the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to their faith. I do not know about you, but uh, when I read verse seven, um, I was surprised that between verses 2 to 6 describe uh, the problem of the church. 
And then he said, then the word of God spread in verse 7. Then, mean consequently, something has happened uh, uh, in the Jerusalem church. Uh, in spite of the internal problem, yet the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. It's not just trickling. Uh, the increase, just a few people added to the church. But the number of disciples increased rapidly. But the more astounding thing is that a large number of priests became obedient to the faith, meaning that the, the priests uh, from the Judaistic believed and embraced Christian faith. They became obedient to the faith. Now, Luke did not give us the background whether <coughs> these priests were from the Sadducees party. Uh, if they were from the Sadducee party, from the Sanhedrin council, then it will be even more remarkable how God works so powerfully that the group of uh, uh, priests that oppose the apostles and, uh, and oppose the Christian faith now became obedient to the faith. But uh, Luke did not tell us, so we cannot come to that conclusion. But we do know that large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, between verse 1 and verse 7, Luke described, describes three things. Firstly, he described the internal problem within the church in chapter 6, verse 1. We do know that there was complaint arose from one group of disciples. And we know that the church at that time already had 5,000 men, not counting women and children, uh, uh, from chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, the church have grown to 5,000 men. And probably a scholar said uh, the number of disciples would have come to about 20,000. Now, secondly, we look at the, how the apostles, it is here referred to the 12. The apostles approached the problem and resolved the issue. And thirdly, uh, the result of the conflict resolution and consequently the gospel advance. So we have the internal problem, verse one, and the approach to the problem, verses two to six, and then the result of the conflict resolution, the rapid growth of the church and the advance of the gospel in verse seven. We have also looked at in Acts chapter five, verses one to 11, uh, when uh, Elder uh, Phil Dehart, shared with us how this young church had a serious problem. Two of his members, Ananias and Sapphira, lied to the Holy Spirit and were struck dead. Their secret sin was exposed by the Holy Spirit. It was a sin of lying and hypocrisy. And now with another new problem surfaced. And the problem, this new problem was that the Hellenistic Jews complains against the Hebrew Jews. So we can see that there are two groups of people in the Jerusalem church. The Hellenistic Jews are the Jews who had adopted Greek language and Greek culture. Uh, probably they were the one that came back from uh, diaspora. Uh, and then they complain against the Hebrew Jews. The other group are the, the Jews who speak Aramaic, or the Hebrew language, who actually grew up in the Hebrew culture. Uh, these are the very Jews who grew up in Jerusalem. 
Now, this could potentially lead to greater disunity and disruption uh, of the growth of the gospel. Now, very much like today in CDPC or in many other churches, when the Mandarin speaking Chinese Christian, we do have Mandarin speaking Chinese Christian, even in the Puchong CDPC, versus the English speaking Chinese Christian. So you have the, the, Chinese, the Mandarin speaking Chinese Christian and the English Chinese Christians, where both have a, a different culture. Now, verse one shows that, that the needs of one group of disciples were not met. Uh, it is the Greek speaking uh, Jews or the Hellenistic Jews. Now, it has to do with uh, food distribution. Now, what exactly uh, Luke did not describe in detail, uh, we can only make certain guesses. Luke mentions that the Hellenistic Jews' widows were being overlooked. Now, we know that in those days, the widows were so poor that they needed financial help uh, in terms of food to be given to them, or perhaps more likely, money to be given to them to buy food. Uh, we know that they were members of the Jerusalem church who actually brought the proceeds of the sale of the land or the properties and brought it to the apostles. And the apostles took upon themselves the task of caring for the poor widows. Now, many poor widows embraced the gospel and joined the Jerusalem church. Uh, so we know the, the gospel attracted large group of poor people into the Jerusalem church. And one of the groups is the poor widows. The work must have been so overwhelming. I can think of uh, administration, think of logistic. Uh, you're talking about a large group of uh, poor widows, both the Jewish speaking and the Hellenistic speaking or the Greek speaking widows. And the work must have been so overwhelming that they overlooked the Greek speaking widows. Now, was it intentional on the part of the apostles? We do not know. Luke did not tell us. Potentially, the problem could lead to disunity and serious faction. And if this dissension were not handled well, it could affect the work of the gospel. And so how we live together in the community, how we uh, approach and resolve conflicts amongst us can affect the work of the gospel. But interestingly, in the passage that Silas read to us, verses 1 to 7, chapter 6, Luke described that the gospel continued to advance and the church grew rapidly. Now, not every conflict in the church ended this way. How wonderful it is that every conflict in the church ended like the way that in the Jerusalem church. We know that this is not the case with many contemporary churches. And we heard of horrific story of how churches broke apart because of quarreling and disunity. And in fact, many Christians who left uh, churches that have conflicts, conflicts that resolve in a very ungodly ways and have hurt many Christians. As a result, in fact, some Christians no longer go to church and they stay away from, from the church. 
So what makes the Jerusalem church grow despite dissension? As we look at verses 2 to 6, the main reason why Jerusalem church grew rapidly despite dissension is that the apostles solved the problem with godly wisdom. So we see the godly and the wise approach in solving the problem. The more I examine, I would even call it the gospel-centered approach in solving the conflict or the godly and the wise approach in solving conflict. Later on, uh, I'm going to show you and bring out why I think it is very gospel-centered or even Christ-centered approach adopted by the apostles. So how did the apostles approach the conflict? We see there are several ways. Number one, firstly, they, they gathered all the disciples together and instructed them to choose seven men <clears throat> from among them. Now, these seven men, when we look at their names, we know that these are the Greek-speaking Jews, uh, Greek-speaking Jews, Christians, or the disciples, seven men. Uh, from among them to look into the needs of the Greek-speaking widows, verses 2 to 4. The apostles were, were Hebraic-speaking Jews, and they show great wisdom by not getting the Hebraic-speaking leaders to oversee uh, the food distribution, or we may call it the mercy ministry. Now, instead, they let the Greek-speaking group choose their own leaders, now, this clearly demonstrates wisdom or impartiality. Otherwise, they would be accused of being biased. Now, it would be just like if in CDPC, uh, if the Chinese-speaking Christians uh, and the English-speaking Christians have issue and the problem, and, and, uh, and particularly the complaint comes from the Chinese-speaking uh, Christian, say, in a matter of like... Uh, Apportion certain budget. It would be wise actually for the Chinese speaking leaders to deal with the with, with them, with the Chinese speaking uh, uh, Christians or members. This will show impartiality. Otherwise, uh, people would always say you uh, be uh, the English speaking uh, leaders discriminate against the, the Chinese speaking uh, church or congregation. Now, so the, the apostles gathered all the, uh, the disciples together and instructed them to choose seven men, uh, the Greek-speaking men from among them to look into, into this uh, problem. Don't you see in the passage that why attending congregation meeting is important? Now, it is something that I find over the years that, uh, that is still 40% of the members of CDPC, uh, uh, but why, by whatever reason or persuasion, they will not attend congregation meeting. Uh, but, but only 60 to 65% of the members will attend congregation meeting. Why, why are we not taking congregation meeting seriously? Uh, if you look at the passage, don't you see that the will of God is manifested through the decision of the leaders and the members coming together. 
Don't you see that congregation meeting when the dialogue take place and the prayer and the, and the discussion and the instruction given by uh, God chosen leaders uh, does reveal uh, the will of God? Isn't that the will of God is important? The will of God pertaining to the ministry of God that will affect the work of the gospel? Don't you see that other people are also watching how uh, the Christian conduct themselves in a large gathering? We heard of uh, like in Taiwan, the parliament, members of parliament throwing chairs at one another. And when you heard of our own parliament, some of the politicians, the way they behave, uh, the foul language that they use. So when outsiders look at how the church or observers look at how the leaders and the members conduct themselves in a godly way, isn't that is very glorifying to God? Isn't that congregation meeting is important enough for us to see that the will of God is being manifested, that an opportunity for us to glorify God. So don't take congregation meeting too lightly. The apostles we see in the meeting, in the gathering of the meeting of the, of the disciples, <clears throat> they show that they realize their limitation and they wisely prioritize their ministry. <clears throat> they say it will not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to serve the table or to wait on table, NIV. It will not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on table. Now the terms to serve on table uh, as translated by ESV or to wait on table in in chapter 6, verse 2 by NIV, that is to manage food distribution. Now, to wait on table is not to be seen as a menial task. You know, it's just like, I don't know why uh, this uh, uh, technical term or theological term is being used uh, by Luke, to wait on table. is like someone waiting on the table for people to come and to take the money to wait on table. I think it's a very special term. Uh, uh, denote certain uh, meaning. Now, the apostles were not saying that the ministry of caring for the poor or to sit there waiting for people to come, to wait on the table for people to take money or to take food, uh, like the, our uh, kopitiam, uh, when people are serving food to us, you know, a group of uh, waiters, waitresses, uh, by our, our church members taking turns to serve us, uh, they smile, they joyfully, they serve us. Now, they, the apostles were not saying that the ministry of caring for the poor is unimportant, or it's just a menial task that, oh, we apostles should not handle this. This is too small, too insignificant for us to handle. <coughs> now, we're going to see why they do that. They merely turn the responsibility over to others who could handle the task so that they could focus on the key ministry that God has called them to do. Uh, the ministry that God has called them to do, that is the preaching of the word or the preaching of the gospel or the proclamation of the word or the prayer and the word. I think these two go together. 
Now, if the apostles were to continue to be involved directly in the food distribution, much of their time and energy would be taken up by the task and they might neglect the ministry of the word. CDPC pastors and elders over the years have wisely put in place proper division of duties and responsibilities. And the pastors and the elders focus on four main areas, preaching ministry, praying. I think in CDPC Puchong, we uh, elders, whenever we come together, we spend a big portion of the time praying. So as the CDPC uh, pastors, elders and the missionaries every Tuesday, <coughs> when they gather, to, when we gather together, a big portion of time is actually sharing and praying. So the four main areas, preaching, ministry, praying, thirdly, shepherding the flocks, and fourthly, providing spiritual direction for the church. Now, of course, there are also other things uh, that take up the times of the pastors and elders. But deacons take charge of mercy ministry, like Rodney and Muigig are leading in this area. And of course, at the moment, Elder Sandy is uh, leading them. Uh, but I hope one day that uh, there are more deacons being emerged and that uh, uh, there will be a chief deacon leading in this area. So that will free um, uh, Sandy, uh, Dr. Sandy, to uh, focus much more on, uh, on prayer, on the spiritual direction, shepherding the flock, and also preaching. Now, those who are chosen to the mini, uh, mercy ministry should see themselves as servants of the church. To wait on tables means to serve. Now, although Luke did not use the term uh, deacon on them, but I believe this is the prototype of deacon. Uh, but he uses the term, uh, the cognac nouns diaconia, uh, which is translated as distribution in verse 1. And the word uh, verb uh, to serve or to wait on table, to wait diaconen, which is also uh, a verb uh, of diaconeo, uh, uh, mean uh, de uh, to serve, a deacon, uh, which a deacon derived from that uh, in verse 2 for what they were to do. Yet the ministry to which the seven were appointed was functionally equivalent to what Paul covered in the title deacon in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 to 13. So deacons are to focus on mercy ministry like these seven men. <clears throat> the administration, the management of church premises, finance and budget. That's why we call this the diaconate ministry. The, the, the ministry of deacons is to care for the needy members of the household, household of faith. Of course, it can be broadened uh, to the needy members outside the household of faith. But primarily, uh, the ministry of deacons is to care for the needy members of the household of faith. That's why in the Jerusalem church, <clears throat> because of uh, rich members who sold their property and brought the money to the apostles and to be distributed uh, to, for the needy. And, 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 it, and the Jerusalem church can say there's not even a needy person in the church uh, uh, because of the, of the distribution of wealth uh, uh, helping one another. And secondly, we can see not only apostles gathering the people together, all the disciples together, and giving clear instruction 
and, and the apostles set the criteria uh, of the choice of leaders to be chosen. Three things, good reputation, which NIV actually did not include, I don't know why. Good reputation, by uh, ESB translated that, good reputation. Secondly, full of the Holy Spirit. And thirdly, wisdom. I would say that these three <coughs> criteria very much are the criteria for choosing elders. But uh, the apostles uh, put these three criteria, the good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit wisdom for the seven men to be chosen uh, to manage this conflict uh, in the distribution of food. And Stephen is also a man of, uh, uh, full of spirit and wisdom, but he's also a man full of faith. Uh, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas. Uh, out of the seven names, two, Stephen and Philip, were described by Luke more fully in Acts chapter 6, uh, 8, and chapter 8, verse 40. And the rest of the five names, we do not see them uh, uh, recurring uh, in the New Testament. Now, the opportunity given to serve in diaconate ministry led to the discovery of two great leaders, two great preachers. Stephen was a great defender of Jesus. Uh, when you, uh, I think next week we're going to uh, hear <clears throat> uh, Dr. Uh, Leong Tian Fok preach to us. I would say that Stephen uh, is an apologist. And then Philip became an effective evangelist. So you have an apologist, you have an evangelist. Now, opportunity to be given to people to serve is very important in a local church. Because for that opportunity to be given, we will see the emergence of new leaders. So pastors and elders must be willing to entrust ministry to others and believe that they can do the works well. Thirdly, we see that the apostles turn the responsibility of daily distribution of food over to these seven men. So when this is done, we could see that no one is to be overlooked. This Hellenistic uh, uh, Jewish-speaking uh, widows, <coughs> their needs are not overlooked. So therefore, in the church, no single group is to be neglected or overlooked. In fact, I would even go on to say that no one is to be overlooked as unimportant, and all are to be cared for in the church community. <coughs> Fourthly, we see that the apostles, they focus they say they will focus on prayer and the ministry of the word, verse 4. So there is no, no dichotomy between what is mundane and what is spiritual. We cannot say that the, uh, 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 those who are involved in uh, Kopitiam is a very mundane kind of work, <coughs> unimportant, nothing to shout about. Or those who those days where many people arranging chairs you know so that uh, worship can take place so that play group can take place we cannot say that such things are, are not important or mundane 
There is no dichotomy between what is mundane and what is spiritual. It does not mean that the ministry of the word and prayer is more important than the ministry of caring for the poor and needy. It is simply a difference in ministry. Acts chapter 6 verses 1 to 7 is particularly instructive as something of a pattern for church life today. Now, right from the beginning, the early church took seriously both the spiritual and material concerns in carrying out uh, God's given uh, ministry. Huh? They take seriously both spiritual and material concerns. In doing so, the Jerusalem church stressed prayer and proclamation of the word. That is, the, the, the apostles stressed prayer and proclamation of the word, uh, never to the exclusion or helping the poor, <clears throat> or, or, or correcting injustice. <coughs> I want to speak to the uh, parents uh, uh, who are here. Please help your children and your youth to have compassionate hearts. Help them to reach out to the poor and needy, because later on, some among them will take up mercy ministry when they grow up. Some may be good at teaching and preaching God's word. You can see they are, they are keen on studying the word of God. They pay attention particularly to the interpretation of the word of God. They are very serious in the, their way uh, of approaching the word of God. So you can help them, teach them good uh, exegesis, good, the skill of good exegesis. Teach them to focus on how to interpret the word of God. Help them to be grounded in sound doctrine and your children will be the potential future elders of the church. And fifthly, we see that the, the proposal pleased the whole group in chapter 6, verse 5. It says that uh, this proposal pleased the whole group, and there was a buy-in. Why? Because the decision and the instruction of the apostles show that they are not buyers. And, and the Hellenistic uh, uh, Jews, uh, the Greek-speaking Jews, believed that these seven men could do the job well. And finally, we see the commissioning of the seven men publicly. The apostles lay hand on them, signifying they, they delegated authority to them. Uh, and the apostles, you can see that they were not self-serving leaders. They do not hoard and... and you know, uh, say that uh, this particular ministry uh, cannot be farmed out, cannot be delegated to people. You know, it's like uh, elders who uh, or the pastors or leaders who are insecure. They want to be to be uh, uh, seeking approval from the congregation. They want to be seen to be doing a lot of works. But these are not self-serving leaders. They do not uh, try to protect their turf. Uh, they did not brush aside the problem either. They prioritized their ministry and, and delegated authority to new leaders to handle the task of caring for the poor. We also see that the apostles did not assign blame uh, when things had gone wrong. Instead, they focused on correcting the wrong and stay focused on the key ministry, a key area of ministry. Now, this is not the case with politicians uh, in a country. Uh, some uh, politicians, they take care only of their own race, you know, in the Malaysian context. 
we often see political and community leaders behave in self-serving manners. Whatever things they do, they do, they make decisions to consolidate their power base. The majority always focus on his own interests and the minority always loses out. <coughs> Such things should not happen in, in, a, in the church context. So we see the problem. We see the approach to the problem, uh, the strategic and the wise decision of the gospel-centered way of uh, resolving conflict. So now we come to the, 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 the uh, third area to see the result of resolving dissension with godly wisdom, uh, which leads to greater growth and the spread of the gospel. So in verse 7, it says, So the word of God spread, the number of the disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So the, uh, the apostles' approach of dealing with the complaint of the Greek-speaking group is gospel-centered. Why I say that? You can see that they did not show favoritism. They looked into the interests of group other than their own group. Isn't that this is very Christ-centered? Favoritism, we can see that it is practiced in many sectors in the society where privileges are only enjoyed by your own group, by your own uh, race, uh, by people who are like you, people who are, uh, who are supporting you, by your own supporters, and you exclude other groups. Favoritism can be a problem in any church life where it breeds racialism and tribalism. Exclusive rights or privileges based on race or clique is not biblical. We tend to take care of our own kind. This is a fallen uh, uh, condition. It is a sinful manifestation. We tend to take care of our own kind. Like English-speaking members and Chinese-speaking members sharing the church uh, premises can be a problem. Now, good thing this is not the case with CDPC Subang. I've been there for many years. Uh, we have said it right from the very beginning. And the Chinese church Sunday school children, actually, they get the better facilities. They actually have the new uh, the, uh, uh, upstairs uh, uh, that have a better facilities. And the English-speaking Sunday school, actually, uh, let them use the better facilities uh, than the English-speaking Sunday school children. Now, the account in this passage draws attention to the need to include those who are often, uh, often neglected. Actually, the gospel teaches us to give the, the best to other people. And so when you, when you examine the speech of Stephen chapter 7, 1 to 53, <coughs> particularly uh, chapter 7, uh, verse 7, we see that the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt they were mistreated. They were excluded from the mainstream uh, life of the nation. And how God actually included them and brought salvation for them. Uh, the speech of Stephen. Uh, this is uh, very instructive. And the ministry of Philip in chapter 8, verses 1 to 40, actually extend this theme. This theme of inclusion of people who are most neglected. Uh, and when, uh, when Philip was reaching out to the eunuch, 
And we know that in the Old Testament, the eunuch were excluded from temple worship for the reason that was described. Uh, but God brought salvation to the slaves and to the eunuch. Now, slaves and eunuchs are now to be included in the eschatological community. Uh, it is the intention of God for salvation to be given to them. Now, Jesus has repeatedly evoked the imagery of table fellowship in the discussion of the inclusion of the outcasts and the Gentiles in God's eschatological banquet. <coughs> I don't have time to look uh, at Luke chapter 5, 27 to 32 and chapter 7, 34. Luke chapter 14, verse 8 and 24 and Luke chapter 19, verse 7. Basically, we see the passage of Jesus eating with tax collector and sinners. We see Jesus reaching out to Zacchaeus, uh, uh, who was uh, an outcast that the uh, Jews excluded them, excluded him, uh, despised him. But Jesus uh, went to his home and says, today salvation has come to, to this house. And Jesus uh, has always been accused being a friends of tax collectors and sinners. And we can see in the, in, the, in the eschatological banquet when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness. And, uh, and in the gospel of Luke where, where God told the people, uh, you know, in a, of course it is in a form of a parable symbolizing God, including the poor, the blind, and the lame. So when you examine closely this particular group of people, the poor, the blind, and the lame, to be brought into the banquet of God, where they can enjoy the banquet of God, symbolize salvation has come to them. God said, bring all these people in, the poor, the blind, and the lame. We know that these are the powerless group of people in the society. So the call to wait on table is not a menial task. It is pregnanted with theological meaning. It is an extension of Jesus' ministry and inclusion and welcoming of those who are often overlooked and neglected. And deacons are called to the mercy ministry to, to care for people who are most often neglected and excluded in the, in the community. Brothers and sisters, in our church community, who are the most representative of such people? Who are the most representative of such people? You will find that, you know, after the worship service, I'm talking about the fiscal on-site service. Who are the people you can find? Normally, they are in a corner uh, and nobody will talk to them. Or in the ministry, you will always see there are certain groups of people are never included. Why? Because in a society, we have made an idolatry of excellence. Excellence is good. I believe that we must do to the best of our ability in all the things that we do to the glory of God. Way back, I remember uh, in Subang when I first started the church and there was a, a sister who wanted to play, uh, to be included in the, in the uh, uh, worship uh, uh, group, worship team. And Sarah and many others who are very skillful in, uh, in playing a violin. And this particular sister, she's not so good in, uh, in uh, playing violin. 
but she wanted to be included. And good thing that Sarah and many others included her. And so I had a discussion with Sarah. I said that although she's not that good, she's a beginner. Uh, uh, her pitch sometimes is a little bit off, but majority of the congregation may not notice. But I say the, the church community is to have people, to welcome people to serve. She has such a willingness, a heart to want to serve God. I think given time, she will improve. It's not that she's so bad that it can affect the group, but she's not that good, you know, to pass the mark of excellence. But she's felt being included and being accepted uh, to, to participate in uh, leading the congregation uh, to worship God. So that's why I always say that excellence, sometimes we can make excellence to be an idolatry. Now, having said that, I'm not saying that we should be uh, 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 careless and, and not wanting to do to our best and not wanting the best for the Lord. I'm not at all saying that. But I'm saying that there are people to be included in the things that we do, although they may not be at the category as good as you. So who are the people? I think if I'm not, uh, if you don't mind me mention uh, some uh, names like uh, Silas, I could see that Silas have, have changed. You know, I'm glad today he's being included to read the scripture and he read very well. And I think that Silas has come a long way. You know, uh, many of you have reached out to him. And you have people who are disabled, uh, the less educated, the not so eloquent in the in their their speech, and we have the poor. Uh, uh, you could see there are certain categories of people. They must be included and not to be excluded, uh, because uh, this is an extension of Jesus' ministry and the inclusion and welcoming of those who are often overlooked and neglected is very much portraying the gospel that we proclaim. And so when the apostles proclaim the gospel, the deacons or the seven men do the menial task and manifesting the power of the living of the gospel and people can see the gospel being enfleshed whenever the, the, the leaders preach the gospel. And finally, we may think that certain racial or religious group is hard to be won over. But under the influence of the Holy Spirit and the fearless preaching and the way how the community live together show that anything is possible. A large number of priests became obedient to the faith. In other words, they left Judaism and embraced Christian faith. They became disciples of Jesus. So we think that certain racial and religious group of the people in a country cannot be won over. There's no. When they look at the way how <coughs> Christian community, how Christian relate to one another, and they look at how uh, the Christian live together, and the preaching of the gospel by and under the influence of the Holy Spirit will actually convict this uh, group of people. So let me conclude by saying that though the internal problem in any church could have severely affected the work of the gospel, any church with conflicts and quarreling and complaint 
if we do not resolve it in a gospel-centered way, it will affect the work of the gospel. But the wise and godly and Christ-centered approach of conflict resolution will result in greater growth and spread of the gospel. Let's pray.